This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. It's true. Unless you attend Yale University or a pizza connoisseur, New Haven may not be on your destination city list. New Haven is between both New York and Boston. It is the former home of the Knights of Columbus Museum, now the McGivney Pilgrimage Center. This tribute to Blessed Michael McGivney shows the important contributions of this future saint. Joining me along the way is Peter Sonsky to talk about the new mission and role the old museum is taking on. Peter, welcome. It's good to be with you, Dave. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm, to have I'm, you. I'm very grateful for your interest in the Knights of Columbus Museum, but we now have uh, a new title and a new mission. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Tell me about it. Well, as I hope most of your listeners, followers know, especially those here in the Connecticut area, a year ago, at the end of October in 2020, Father Michael McGivney was officially declared a blessed. Uh, Father Michael McGivney is the founder of the Knights of Columbus. He's a Connecticut-born priest, born in 1852, died in 1890, lived a very uh, holy life, and uh, I'm delighted that he has uh, achieved the honors of the altar. I'm, I'm hoping and praying that he'll go one step further and be declared a saint at some point in the not-too-distant future, but uh, being declared a blessed is really a significant step because it confirms that he's in heaven. Mm-hmm. On that occasion, the leadership of the Knights of Columbus, the International Knights of Columbus, which is based in New Haven, decided that the institution known as the Knights of Columbus Museum would change its focus and become the Blessed Michael McGivney Pilgrimage Center. Mm. Um, So it really now looks at Father McGivney's life and his vision and encourages others to uh, have devotion to him, to seek his intercession. Uh, In other words, to pray through him for their needs And hopefully that will lead uh, at some point, as I said, in the not too distant future to his being a saint. Uh, Maybe we can talk a little bit at some point about the sainthood process. I'd be happy to give a a little insight about that, but he's over uh, a very major first step in being declared a a blessed. And we hope that soon he will be a saint. Well, his, the step that he just, rose from was venerable. So how does somebody become a venerable servant of God? When an individual is proposed for sainthood, there is what's uh, typically referred to in the church as the cause, the, the movement, Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the kind of um, coalition of, of individuals supporting that person being declared a saint. Um, Usually that group has to appeal to the local bishop and seek the bishop's approval to move it forward. Here in the United States, it even goes uh, more formally. Usually uh, a bishop will actually appeal to all of the bishops of the United States and say, um, you know, I'm being asked to consider the sainthood of, for example, Father Michael McGivney. Uh, Does anyone have uh, words of support or concern about moving this cause? And, you know, kind of getting that that blessing or that consensus from the American bishops, that's how Father McGivney began his path back in 1997. Archbishop Cronin was the archbishop at the time in Hartford. Mm -hmm. And um, his cause was introduced formally. And to introduce a cause formally means that Locally, in the, the diocese, there is a, a formal process to investigate that individual's life. Did they live truly a, a holy life? In Father McGivney's case, he died 100 years before the cause even began, so there was nobody still living who actually knew him. There was a lot of reliance on documents that were written about Father McGivney and Um, any testimony that might have um, endured that talked about his life, it was all compiled into a very uh, complete biography and then submitted to Rome to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints. There it was evaluated by that congregation, that uh, formal commission, if you will, of, of cardinals and other theologians, 
And uh, a recommendation was made to the Holy Father, who was Pope Benedict at the time, that he did indeed live a life of what's known as heroic virtue. Uh, he was a holy man, in other words. And then when the Holy Father, Benedict at the time, approved of that, he was declared venerable, a venerable servant of God. And from that moment on, Dave, uh, we began looking for a miracle. What might be an inexplicable event that would occur through the intercession of Father McGivney that could confirm that he is with God, he is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Through the years, there's been a number of um, cases that were presented to the Knights of Columbus or more formally to the cause for, um, for Father McGivney's canonization. And uh, some of those were researched and dismissed. Some of those were uh, researched and forwarded. And fortunately, a case that occurred about six years ago in Tennessee mm-hmm. resulted in uh, checking all the boxes, if you will, uh, that first of all, it was inexplicable. There was no medical explanation for how a healing occurred. And we were also able to confirm that it was through Father McGivney's intercession, that there was a request for prayer for this need presented through Father McGivney. Please pray to Father Michael McGivney that our child is healed. And uh, a beautiful account of a child being healed in utero before it was even born. They detected this fetal abnormality that they thought was going to take the life of the child. And the husband and the wife, mom and dad prayed. They asked their friends to pray. They asked their church to pray. And God responded through Father McGivney's uh, efforts and the baby was healed. Yeah, beautiful, amazing, beautiful story. That's an amazing story. We actually had uh, Mr. Dan Shackle, who was the dad of little Mikey McGivney Shackle. Uh, he was a guest uh, a few episodes back, and uh, just truly an amazing story. And, and the Knights of Columbus, they do a wonderful job you know, writing about that. And I've, I've read some, some stuff in uh, Columbia Magazine about that. I, I, love, I love Mikey's story. That's a, it's a tremendous one. So Father McGivney has moved on to venerable to a blessed because of that that's that miracle. What Correct. what is the next step? Because I know that we've also talked with other people that said that once the miracles are once the, the all the miracles that that have been submitted, person has gotten moved up to to blessed. Now now the slate is clean and now you need all new miracles. What are some of the things that are coming in now? That's that's an excellent point. Um, so from the date that the Pope accepted that the miracle was, uh, uh, meeting all of the criteria that it, you know, was, um, uh, inexplicable, it was truly miraculous and that it was, um, it was through the intercession of this particular soul, um, from that date, which would have been, I believe, May, late May in 2020, everything, like you said, the slate is clean. So any other um, cases from that point backward are no longer considered. It's only from that date forward that uh, miracles are, uh, are considered for the next important step, which is sainthood. So, uh, you know, we continue to receive all kinds of uh, favors reported through Father McGivney's intercession. Just a clarification on that. So from that day forward, is it the miracle would have had to occurred after that date or our knowledge or the reporting of uh, the, you know, the case, as you said, uh, it occurs after that May date? No, it, it has to have occurred after that date. Okay. Uh, both. The actual event and the report are have to be uh, after after that date, right? Yeah. What kind of um, miracles can you do? You know, can you tell? Or I mean, there's uh, 
it's hard for me to claim them as miracles, Dave, because you know certainly the judgment is not mine. I, I've heard of many healings and and uh, many uh, other favors reported. Father McGivney has. Uh, we've heard of numerous. I'll call them favors because that is an easy term for us to use. A grace, a grace from God through Father McGivney's intercession. They don't always come from um, an inexplicable case. I mean, many people have uh, have attributed their their physical or, or medical healings from a condition, whether it be cancer or some other uh, condition, to prayers through Father McGivney. Now, if there's medical intervention for something like that, it's usually difficult to prove it's it's miraculous. And in a case where, you know, someone is about to have a tumor removed and they show up in the operating room that day and the tumor is, you know, mysteriously gone, that's, that can be miraculous. But for example, somebody that's battling cancer and has been receiving radiation or chemotherapy or other sort of medical intervention, you know, there's, there's cause for the, you know, the, 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 what I'll call the man uh, involved, human involved remedy that could have had a, a place in that. Um, if someone has been doubt. praying, if not reasonable doubt, I mean, there's, there's reasonable explanation for how the healing came about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I've been suffering from leukemia, not I'm using an example, but someone who's been suffering from a, a cancer and has been receiving treatment. I've been praying to Father McGivney that I'll be healed, but I'm also receiving intervention, medical care, medical treatment for that. There's there's uh, reason to believe that it was through the the medical intervention that the the healing resulted. That doesn't mean that Father McGivney wasn't involved in guiding the the doctors and and asking God's favor on my health, but it wasn't necessarily miraculous, mm-hmm. if if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's usually a, a case of uh, you know a, a condition, a, a, a medical condition that someone has that mysteriously disappears without any medical intervention at all, without any. Um, natural explanation for how this uh, this healing occurred. That's what makes it truly miraculous. So many people have shared that you know they prayed for uh, their son or daughter to who's been wayward to come back to the church or to that has been um, you know separated from the family to be reconciled. Uh, people have have reported to us that you know they've lost their jobs and that they've asked Father McGivney's help and they found a job. Um, you know, all of those things are are I'm sure very legitimate favors, but there can also be other components that would be um, uh, contributing to an explanation of how they occurred. So that's why miracles are so uncommon, because there's really no other way to describe them than through heavenly intervention. So they're, they're a bit few and far between, uh, and we can really marvel at them when they come, like the case of Mikey Shackle, as you cite. Mm-hmm. So we hope and pray that there are, uh, there are cases that will result in Father McGivney's taking that next step because the the miracle is needed for that to occur there's been some cases that um you know certainly are worthy of uh follow-up and uh, the the postulator of the cause and those involved with it are you know exploring any that uh, have promise for submission to the vatican so continue to pray we can't assume that any any one case is accepted that's quite often it's not uh, a slam dunk, if I can use that term, uh, you know, it takes quite a long time, and there's very um, thorough evaluation done by medical experts at the Vatican, as well as by theological experts, to be confident that this was indeed um, an act of God through the intercession of the would-be saint. Well, Peter, I I do every morning. I I pray the Saint Michael Chaplet on Facebook Live. Um, it's getting a pretty decent following now. I close every morning with the Father McGivney prayer. And I always pray for an increase in membership, an increase in spirituality, and an increase in our ability to uh, fulfill our charitable obligations and duties. So that, that, that is my prayer every morning. But I want to ask you, Peter, 
and this goes for me too, what is it about Father McGivney that gives Knights such a deep devotion to him? Um, I think Father McGivney was in a lot of ways um, very understanding of, of masculine spirituality. And I know that this is something that both of you are, are keenly interested in uh, as Knights and as just as Catholic men. Men are wired differently, Dave, than women are. They, they have a different spiritual focus than women do. And uh, Father McGivney clearly understood that. And as knights, I think there is a, an affinity for someone who understood that and, and kind of recognized it. He said, I'm going to set up an organization of men to help them be mutually supportive of one another in their lives of faith. Mm-hmm. And he drew a beautiful roadmap for doing that. It's not complicated. I don't want to suggest that this is something that is, is onerous. I mean, it's it really, in many ways, is, is living a sacramental life, right? Mm-hmm. Attending mass and, and receiving the sacrament of penance on a regular basis and doing uh, the spiritual and corporal works of mercy and, and asking Our Lady's intercession uh, through the Holy Rosary and, and, and seeking to be of service to your local community, your local parish. These are, are uh, not complicated ways, but they're really meaningful ways in which men can grow in unity and in holiness together. And Father McGivney seemed to see that as a very uh, profitable path to holiness. And I think also, Dave, if I can, and I know that both of you gentlemen are familiar with the Second Vatican Council's document, Lumen Gentium, and it talks about the universal call to holiness. So it's not just priests that are called to be holy. It's not just religious sisters that are called to be holy. Everyone is called to be holy. Everyone has a destiny to be with God. Not everyone fulfills that destiny, but we are all called to that destiny, that outcome. And Father McGivney realized that even before it was codified, spelled out plainly by the Second Vatican Council, I think that Father McGivney saw that the laity, the people in the pews, so to speak, are are called to live lives of holiness. And, And he helped he helped define a way to do that. And so I think that appeal uh, to Father McGivney that you mentioned is so real because of this, this guidance that he has offered, this, this path, and you know the fact that he did so long before the church formally recognized it uh, already is indication to me that he had a kind of a, um, a spiritual gift in order to to found this organization of lay people and help put them on the path toward living that life that will enable them uh, to fulfill their calling. Because he was such a visionary, do you think that he had received any kind of pushback? Because I, I know that there was not all the bishops and not, not all the priests accepted the idea of the Knights of Columbus in the beginning. You're right. So he did you're, experience. You're absolutely right. He experienced. How did he come overcome that? Very much. Very much. He wanted the organization to be a lay organization. In other words, he wanted it to be a separate organization of Catholic men, mm-hmm. not a Catholic organization of men, but an organization of Catholic men, if I can use that distinction. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 using the modifier Catholic meaning it's it's part of the institutional church it's run by the uh the formal church like a a pastor at that time might have been head of uh, a sodality or head of a um a holy name society or whatnot it was it was more or less under the close oversight of the clergy and uh the hierarchy and that's not what mcgivney wanted mcgivney wanted it to be a Catholic lay-run organization with spiritual guidance, with chaplains that were helping to give counsel, mm-hmm. but not 
to be governing the organization. And there was resistance because that wasn't the norm at the time. The norm at the time was that it was it was run by the church and run by the the clergy. Um, and, and that was the- maybe he saw some of the pitfalls that we've experienced in recent decades because, you know, the clergy have shown uh, fallibility mm-hmm. and I, I'm not making uh, wholesale uh, statements here, but uh, to be sure, um, you know, this organization, the Knights of Columbus, because it hasn't been part of the institutional church. Uh, certainly has not experienced some of the hardships that the church has as a result of, you know, clergy's errors. But yet Father McGivney still remains a model for our priests today. Very much so. Uh, Father Ron Meyer um, wrote a beautiful uh, paper on Father McGivney's uh, charisms. And all these charisms of Father McGivney were like problem solving and he just he was always moving forward and and that's that's what i love so much about father mcgivney and i think as parish priests they need to take and become the 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 problem solvers of their or for their flock father mcgivney was a man of the people to be sure i mean the accounts that we have of his life and the uh, the ministry that he provided you can always look at a, a tender-hearted individual seeing the needs of others and and looking for ways in which to be supportive of them. And, you know, stepping out of convention, stepping out of, uh, of norms or perceived boundaries in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was one, uh, not so much to, to bend the rules, but to, but to do things that might not have been um, what, the average person would do, yeah. you know, to, to, to volunteer, to put up uh, his own, uh, his own name and support for a child who was going to be orphaned because his dad had died and his mom uh, didn't want to lose custody of him. Uh, you know, he was, he was able to, to step up and say, I will be responsible and I will ensure that, you know, this, this child uh, does not become um award of the of the the state that you know we will make sure that the family is well supported and that the the child uh, will be educated and and responsible and um you know uh, the the case of the episcopal minister's daughter who converted to catholicism that's an interesting story that i'm familiar with um father mcgivney was very very respectful uh, and that played a huge part in Father McGivney being accepted by other faiths. Precisely. So as the story goes, you know, this is a very, very high profile Episcopal minister in downtown New Haven, Trinity Church, downtown New Haven. The church is still there today. Um, and um, he's not just known you know, regionally, he's known nationally. He's that stature. Um, his daughter is intrigued by Father McGivney. She's heard accounts to him and she goes, which is only a few blocks from where she was, to his church and listens to him preach. And she's profoundly impacted by it and um, ultimately converts to Catholicism. Hmm. And shortly after she contracts an illness and ultimately dies. And this is uh, now by this time, Father McGivney has uh, been assigned to Thomaston, Connecticut, where he's pastor. But uh, he comes back to New Haven and, um, you know, he wants to give the, the, the Catholic funeral rites to her just, justifiably because she's now a Catholic. But at the same time, he doesn't want to doesn't want to offend or give um, scandal scandal to uh the 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 parents because you know obviously it's their child and it's not only a a member of their their community their their former member i guess of their faith community but a member of their family so he 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 respectfully you know provides those catholic rites of funeral um in the family's presence in in the family home but 
uh, you know, just kind of attends rather than leads the funeral celebration. So he's there, um, and and the, the father obviously uh, presides at the funeral services. So um, again, outside of what we would normally expect, but certainly a very pastoral gesture, pastoral not only to the girl but to the family and to your point to the community as well. Um, and so he was he endeared himself to others because of his respect for their circumstances. Um, and so he was, he was a model in, in many ways um, and worthy of, of study. Peter, I'd like to shift gears and talk about um, how the uh, museum is transitioning from the uh, Knights Columbus Museum to the McGivney uh, Pilgrimage Center. Well, some things will still be the same, Dave. Some things will will change a little bit in focus and mission. We we are going to be more centered naturally on Father McGivney now. We're going to be talking about his life and about his vision, uh, about his legacy. The most um, visible legacy is is what we've already been discussing, which is the Knights of Columbus, the organization he founded, hundred and nearly hundred and forty years ago, and you know all of the charitable work that it's done throughout uh, that that long stretch of time but we're going to be looking at his his own life and encouraging people to um, have devotion to him to pray to him and and ultimately get him over that finish line if you'll permit me that uh, mm-hmm. that way of discussing our ambition that he become a saint we're very close to saint mary's church which uh, is also in new haven this is the church that father McGivney was serving as a, a vicar or, or an assistant when uh, he founded the Knights of Columbus. And that's the place where his body is reposed today. So when Father McGivney died in 1890, as I said, his body was laid to rest in the family plot in uh, Waterbury, Connecticut, Old St. Joseph's Cemetery there. But in 1982, which would have been the 100th anniversary of the Knights of Columbus, the uh, leadership of the Knights of Columbus asked the family's permission to exhume his body and again getting all of the important permissions interred father mcgivney's mortal remains at saint mary's church so um, that'll be a place where we're going to be encouraging people to come to pray and to ask father mcgivney's intercession you know to have a saint in our midst or a a a would-be saint a blessed uh here in in the little state of connecticut is Mm -hmm. is a tremendous blessing for all so I, you know, I was so pleased to hear you say at uh, at the outset how much you um, you think of the McGivney Center, and um, I'm happy to report that people come from all over the country and many other places in the world to visit because they have such a devotion to Father McGivney and such um, a desire that he be an intercessor on their behalf for their needs or the needs of others around them. Every morning I pray to him. He's- uh, he's become such a, uh, he's become one of my favorite saints. I think he's just absolutely amazing. We don't, you know, Catholics need to remember that, that, that life is, it transitions. It doesn't end. Father McGivney, his, his soul is now with God. We know that in a confirmed sense, because the church has told us so through the Holy Father, but um, you know, some of our relatives, we may not know with the same degree of certainty that we know that, you know, like St. Teresa and St. Patrick and uh, other saints, blessed Michael McGivney are, are in heaven. But, um, you know, we pray to them nonetheless, because we are all, uh, they are, you know, that communion of saints. And we have the church triumphant, the church militant, the church suffering. We are all united. And so that, that exchange of prayer is very essential for us as Catholics. And, you know, now that we have confidence that blessed Michael McGivney is in heaven, we can pray with all the more faith, all the more confidence that he will hear us and he will intercede for us. He's right in our backyard. We can go to his grave and ask him, please, Father McGivney, hear my prayer. Ask God to help me in my need. Peter, you said that uh, your mission at the at the uh, McGivney uh, Center is going to be focusing more on on uh, Father McGivney and the Knights of Columbus. But are you still going to have some of the, uh, because I remember the first time I went to the museum, it was uh, Mother Teresa's relics were were there. And I, but I was moved. I was truly moved by being in this presence of, you know, something that a saint in my lifetime, 
you know, I was able to see this this woman on TV and how how truly moving she was to people. Isn't gotta, it amazing yeah. how blessed we were to see people like like Mother Teresa, like John, John Paul, yeah. um, you know, people who who lived really saintly lives, and and we lived in a time where we could fully appreciate their outreach and their their commitment to God. Um, so the answer to your question is that yes, we will we will continue to have periodic exhibitions that are always in the spirit of Father McGivney, in the spirit of the Knights of Columbus, in the spirit of Catholicism, mm-hmm. to help people be nurtured in faith, to be inspired. Uh, I'm pleased to share that we're going to have a Christmas exhibition this year. Christmas has always been one of the more popular exhibitions that we do, Dave, because I think it's a great opportunity for people to appreciate the breadth of Catholicism or Christianity in the world. Um, our Christmas exhibits are usually uh, what we call Christmas crash exhibits. They're nativity scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, from time to time, we will pick a, a select region or a select country and really focus on it um, thoroughly. Uh, we've done Poland, we've done Germany, we've done um, Canada as as examples of individual countries. But then we've also done things like Latin America or Africa or Asia um, as more regional areas in which we encompass, uh, you know, more countries, more customs. But we look at how Christmas is celebrated, how Christmas is accepted the world over that, you know, Christianity truly is a global religion. And, um, you know, sometimes the expressions of those Christmas nativity scenes are uh, distinct from what we've come to know here in the United States, where, um, you know, we were evangelized predominantly through Europe, uh, at least in the, the very earliest history of our country, the, uh, the missionaries that came here were European. And so we, we see customs and traditions that are closely associated with Europe. But in, in Asia, in Africa, in the Pacific, uh, there's you know, many different manifestations. They have the same faith, they have the same belief, the same celebration, but they just have come to um, express it in distinct ways. And it's, it's wonderful for us for, it's wonderful for us to learn from. Because, you know, God is speaking to people throughout the world, and he's speaking to them in unique ways that help them to embrace faith in him and to, uh, to you know, live those, those holy lives. So this year's Christmas exhibit is going to be a bit of an around-the-world presentation. It won't be concentrated on one particular area, but we'll have examples of many different displays. So I hope if people have had the opportunity to visit the Knights of Columbus Museum, now the Blessed Michael McGivney Pilgrimage Center, that they'll make plans to come. The Christmas show is going to open November 6th. It'll be a little different in that we're open um, beginning on that date, Tuesdays through Sundays. So uh, the McGivney Center will be closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. So I should have said Wednesdays through Sundays will be open. I apologize. Five days a week, every week. Uh, we'll be closed Thanksgiving. Naturally, we'll be closed Christmas. But um, we hope people will come and, and learn from what we have to offer about how Christmas is celebrated universally across the globe and so many different uh, traditions and cultures. And it's a wonderful opportunity to, to bring the family and be um, informed in their faith um, it's it's free, it's easily accessible, and um, it's a great experience to learn from. It's not far from New York. I mean, it is a uh, New Haven is not like you and I had talked about earlier. Uh, New Haven's not a destination city. I mean, it's known for its pizza. I'll give you that, but um, you know. <laughs> so come and come and see crashes and and have some uh, have some New Haven pizza while you're there. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's it's at the intersection of routes uh, of I ninety one and I ninety five. Mm-hmm. So it's um, you know there's interstate highways that people can take to get there. You might not have another occasion to go to New Haven, admittedly, but um, I think this is an occasion uh, that's deserving for a couple of hours. 
and then stop over and pray to Father McGivney at his grave at St. Mary's Church while you're in the city. That is the one thing that I, I still need to do. I, I, I still want to visit St. Mary's. When uh, the times I visited the the old uh, Knights of Columbus Museum and, um, the, you know, uh, the most impressive room is the reliquary okay. uh, where uh, relics of Father McGivney are there. Now, I may be wrong in asking this question. It may be silly or I may be hearing something incorrectly, but when Father McGivney became Blessed McGivney, does the, the status of some of his relics change um, at that point when, when a, a venerable becomes a blessed, or is it a relic is a relic? And maybe you can tell us what relics are. Sure. The church has always had, uh, always has had a, you know, a long custom of venerating relics of saints, the, the, the remains of holy people. It goes all the way back to the catacombs. And we know how the Christians were persecuted in the very early church after Christ's death and forced underground. And, and, you know, many of the, many of those who would not forfeit their faith in order to save their lives were killed. And, uh, you know, the, the Christian faithful would, would gather up the remains and, and um, show great respect for those remains because of the, the example of the person. So over time we've, in the Catholic faith, uh, perpetuated this this practice of, of venerating relics, venerating the the mortal bodies of um, of saintly people. So there's three classes commonly of relics. A first class relic, Dave, and, and we we can formally call it a relic of a, a saint or a blessed when that individual is declared such. Um, so in Father McGivney's case, now uh, there are first-class relics. There are parts of his mortal remains. It could be uh, it could be some of his hair. It could be um, a piece of bone that uh, have been uh, retrieved from his uh, from his tomb and now are available to to travel so that people can venerate these relics. The relics that you're mentioning that are on display regularly at the McGivney Center are his burial vestiture. So when Father McGivney died, as I mentioned in 1890, he was buried in the family plot in Waterbury. When he was exhumed in 1982 and his body was transferred to uh, New Haven, to St. Mary's, they replaced the, the burial clothes that the body was in with different clothing. So he had a cassock that he was wearing, that he was buried in. He had um, priestly vestments. He had a chasuble and a stole, and he had a, a scapular, and uh, he had a rosary in his uh, casket. So all of these things have been preserved or, or uh, conserved, I guess, is the formal term for what we do in, in the museum world. And they're on display. So you can actually see the clothes that Father McGivney was buried in when he died a hundred plus years ago. And we also have first degree relics too. these, like I said, the parts of his, his body now that are available for veneration and the state of uh, Connecticut's uh, Knights of Columbus council, the state council is going to be starting an initiative to, to bring these relics to the faithful so that they can pray with them. There's also what's known as a third degree relic. A third degree relic is just an object that's touched to a first degree relic. So first degree is an actual part of the, the saint's remains. A second degree, it would be something that the saint had or used in his or her lifetime. So that clothing that I mentioned that he was buried in, uh, prayer books or anything that he would have had as a personal effect, a, a rosary, something of that sort is a second degree relic. Third degree relic is something that is touched to a first degree relic. So all of them are valid. All of them are, are ways in which we can pray along with that saint and, and ask intercession for our needs. So at the time um, before he was uh, a blessing, there were relic were there relics of his mortal remains in the museum uh, were there uh, no. no 
No, okay. before before uh, he was declared a blessed or well, to be truthful, it was it was legitimately before the official beatification, but between the time in which he was announced that it, he would be a blessed and the actual liturgy of beatification, that his uh, his sarcophagus at St. Mary's was opened and they uh they took relics from within the within the casket so the relics that now are available for veneration the relics that were presented at the mass of beatification are um are from that occasion and um so we can we can venerate father mcgivney uh and 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 pray along with him in in a unique way now with his uh with his relics so I don't know if it's appropriate. Can we talk a little bit about the initiative of the State Council of the the Knights of Columbus? Yeah, I just want to make one more point on this: uh, the, the the relic, the third degree relic. Um, so I, I see the the picture of Father McGivney over your shoulder, Peter, uh, and you know, of course, that's the famous prayer card that we have that has mm-hmm. the yeah, right, exactly. So that one, I, mine is over there by my chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the lower, but Pete, uh, Dave, look at look at what Peter has. Is that little white dot? Yeah, uh, on that pair of card. You know, you have that. Oh, you do. Okay, excellent. So David has one too. That's an earlier version. Yeah, that's I, an earlier version. But the reality is that you know, um, I think Dave's might be a thread from uh, in the in the first uh, card, the card that had the um um uh, like that border around it yeah i think that might be uh, a piece of thread from one of his articles of clothing um and again so it was it was a relic in sense that it was something of his possession um now it it truly is venerated as a, a second degree relic this is rather a piece of cloth that has been touched to a first degree relic. And we have it sealed here on the back. There's a little tab that uh, holds it in place, but there is a small piece of cloth that has been touched to um, a first degree relic. And so this is a third degree relic card and that's available to anyone who comes to the McGivney Center. Uh, We'll be happy to give you a a, a relic card. As a plug to the the McGivney uh, uh, Guild, um, I, I just remembered, I have my envelope right here. Um, in the newsletter, I noticed it said, hey, uh, if you want some things, here you can order them. And one of the things you could order is 25 for free of the new Blessed McGivney prayer card. Beautiful. And 25 uh, oop, of the Blessed McGivney prayer card with <laughs> the relic. Uh, the the third, third degree relic. relic. So, Beautiful. You know, um, it was a little thing I stumbled upon. Um, and if people are interested in, in that, it's a nice perk. I, I save them. I give them to uh, people. In fact, we're probably going to pass these out if I have enough of them at the, um, at the Blessed McGivney Day of Reflection in December that's coming up. But let's talk about the, um, the relic poor. Um, you, yeah, the, I, I call it a relic pilgrimage. But I'd also like to just give a little more explanation for the guild. You mentioned the McGivney Guild, and anyone can join that, David. It's not required that they be a knight or a family member of a knight of Columbus. Anyone who wants to um, join others in praying for the intercession of Father McGivney is welcome to to join the guild. You can do so through uh, the the Father McGivney Pilgrimage Center website. It, it, there's no cost. You just uh, give us your your name and information, and we'll keep you informed of developments with Father McGivney's cause. And we'll just ask you, like David does faithfully every morning, pray the Father McGivney prayer. Ask Father McGivney's help in your needs and for the needs of those around you. Um, we never know what intercession will result in that miracle that we're waiting for for the for his becoming a saint. But to your um, question about the the relic pilgrimage um the state council uh, has uh, begun an initiative to bring a first class relic of father mcgivney to uh, different parishes throughout the state of connecticut where they'll allow the faithful to gather 
venerate the relic and to pray for Father McGivney's uh, intercession in, in their needs. So this is an initiative that is just beginning. The first, uh, the first gathering will be later this month, uh, not too far from you gentlemen in um, in Manchester and we will be uh, we the the state council of knights will be bringing this around to different parishes so keep your eye out for notices in in bulletins or watch the blessed McGivney center website because we'll definitely list those events when they're upcoming it's an opportunity to go and pray with father McGivney's relic to venerate the relic to ask father McGivney's help um, are you suffering sickness? Uh, do you have, you know, financial difficulties? Do you have a, a distant family member who you'd like to be reconciled with? Do you have um, some sort of a, a vice or an addiction that you struggle with that you need uh, you need heavenly help to overcome? Uh, these are all opportunities to come and, and pour your heart out to Father McGivney and ask his help. Peter, what what is the, uh, the McGivney Center doing to help help the different councils? Um, to be sure, if you know if there are formal requests for um, information that we can provide or or some insight about Father McGivney, we're happy to do that. The, the biggest thing that we do is to welcome people to the McGivney Center because we have so much to offer there. I recognize that you know in the times that we're we're dealing with uh, because of the pandemic, the uh, the opportunities to do that are not as as frequent or um, as um, as basic as they used to be, but we're happy to do that. We do also have a great deal of content online. We host wonderful events like David Imhoff is going to be leading um, a, a and he mentioned it shortly ago a day of reflection on the on the life and spirituality of Father McGivney. So there's a variety of things that we do. We, we, we seek to do to uh, provide that support more than anything else. We just try through our continuous outreach, largely these days, uh, Dave, through social media and through uh, periodic uh, online presentations, just to explore Father McGivney's life and example and to help people to know as much about him as they possibly can. You know, you mentioned Mother Teresa and, and St. John Paul. Padre Pio, of course, is another saint that lived in our lifetime. And uh, others like Maximilian Kolbe, for example, uh, Faustina, they, they're not too far outside of my lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, Father McGivney is just maybe the next step beyond those. Uh, he, he died at the turn of the 20th century. He, um, you know, kind of at the same time that uh, the little flower died. And we, we shouldn't think of him as being too much different from us. Um, you know, to be sure, he had different experiences and different, different needs, but he still was, um, you know, a person in our region of the world and who, um, you know, walked the same streets that, that we walk, uh, worshipped the same Eucharist in the same churches that we now can can worship God. So he's not that far removed from us. He's not that different from us. So he can serve as an example to us that heaven can be achieved. Heaven is not a, um, a destination that is beyond our ability. Uh, he set for us a very simple but strong example of how to live a holy life. And we can, we can ask his help that we can follow his guidance. Yeah. And he loves some, some of the things that we love baseball, for instance. Oh my gosh. Isn't it? Um, that's what makes him real. Why is father McGivney so beloved? Because he's, he's, he's like us in so many ways. He loved the game of baseball. Baseball was still coming into its own when Father McGivney was in seminary. Don't forget, you know, he entered seminary just a few years after the end of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, baseball was still really beginning to, uh, to take shape in the U.S. And he played the game in seminary. And, um, you know, his brother, John, 
who was also uh, a priest, played the game in seminary as well. And he inspired it. He, Michael, inspired it among so many of his parishioners. And, you know, baseball is a game that brings people together. It gathers people. And I think Father McGivney realized that. So he used it as a way to to unite people. And what is one of the founding principles of the Knights of Columbus? But unity. Mm. Um, So I think he used it in that way. And there's been many different Knights of Columbus over the years who have been very successful in baseball. I mean, Babe Ruth is the, is the classic example, but uh, Connie Mack, who was a great uh, manager, managed World Series teams in the, uh, in the early era of baseball, was another example. Johnny Evers, the famous uh, shortstop in the Tinkers to Evers to Chance, um, uh, second baseman, excuse me, for the Cubs, Tinkers to Evers to, to Chance, that double, that double play combination. Mm-hmm. He's a, a Hall of Famer, was a Knight of Columbus. Um, Ron Guidry, those who you know know Louisiana Lightning and are, are New York Yankees fans, he was a Knight of Columbus. Mike Sweeney, um, a famous yeah. first baseman in very recent years for the Kansas City Royals, uh, a Knight of Columbus. So we have a wonderful online exhibit. You're asking some of the things that we do. Right now at michaelmcgivneycenter.org, we have a wonderful exhibit about the history of baseball and how it's interwoven with the history of the Knights of Columbus, beginning with Father Michael McGivney. And we recount some of the the developments in world history, as well as in the progression of baseball and in the uh, evolution of the Knights of Columbus as well. So those of you who are fans of baseball, please visit michaelmcgivneycenter.org and um, maybe you'll come to have a better appreciation of some of the Catholic connections in uh, in the game of baseball. Um, Peter, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up real soon, but I, I just wanted to ask you the question: If Father McGivney were alive right now, would he be a Yankee fan or a Red Sox? Fan? <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh boy, um, you're gonna get me in a lot of hot water. Um, I, 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 I fall in the favor of, uh, Red Sox. Yeah. Well, I, I do too. I <laughs> um, didn't even ask Mets. He, that wasn't, yeah, even there Mets. you go. No, there they, you go. They, they weren't even around until what? 67 or something like that, Dave? Was 62. 60, oh, was 62. Wow. Yeah. After they the came into before. existence last millennium. Yeah. Wow. Right. Anyways. Uh, Peter, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us tonight. Very, very informative. And I'm just going to close this up uh, by by saying on behalf of uh, my guest, Peter Sonsky, my uh, co-host and producer, David Imhoff, I'm down the hall, Dave, praying that your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door.